0: I want to ask you a question. That's that's what us preachers. That's what we do. Um, how are you with agreeing to disagree? You know, we hear that a lot in society because we live in a very hypersensitive society. We're not trying to offend people. We don't want people to get edgy. And a lot of times our conversations can then start to get uh, a little heated, a little escalated. There's this exchange back and forth of, of you know, why this is better, why this is better. It gets a little heated. It starts mounting up and inevitably someone finally says, you know what, let's just agree. To disagree. Whew. Conflict avoided. <laughs> Wow, that that was close. You know, and I'm okay with disagreeing to, uh, uh, you know, agreeing to disagreeing. You know, I I am. I mean, I'll I'll show you a little bit of what I mean. Uh, I'm going to ask you a question here. And, uh, you know, all at the same time, when you're ready, uh, you can go ahead and shout your answer. Uh, Somehow God will give me the ability to hear your answer, so don't worry about that. But uh, here's the question. What is the best flavor of ice cream wow chocolate cookies and cream seriously okay okay sorry you're wrong it's rocky Road okay okay oh okay you know what you know what let's just agree to disagree okay Disagreements over preferences, over opinions. But you know, it starts to get a bit odd when we start to frame our preferences and our opinions as absolute truths. You know, you don't have to love Rocky Road ice cream. I mean, you could be wrong. That's, That's okay. No, I'm just kidding. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. But wouldn't it be weird, though, if this heated discussion we had, we disagreed over the best ice cream and it led to our friendship being strained, being ruined. You know, some of us might be thinking, well, it depends on the ice cream. No, but in all seriousness, guys, I mean, getting along with each other requires us to accept our differences of opinions and preferences. God wants us to get along. And in fact, God calls us to accept one another. Accept one another. And this was indeed a challenge for the first century church to accept one another. They had disagreements over matters that would seem trivial to us as ice cream flavors. But they became a big deal in the church. Now when Jesus envisioned the church, he envisioned brothers and sisters coming together, exalting God in worship, being involved in each other's lives and sharing the love of Jesus in their communities and making an impact in the culture that they lived in. But then it didn't take long before differences of opinions and preferences began to creep into the church and disrupt the harmony of the church family. And in Romans 14, we get a picture of that as we read here in verse 1. Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who... Uh, eats everything, must not look down on him who does not, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the one who does. For God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand." You know, to give some context in the Scripture here, the first disagreement that the church was facing at this time in this Greco-Roman world was whether or not Gentiles, non-Jewish believers, had to become Jews before they could become Christians. And tied up in that debate were arguments over what kinds of food people could eat and what kind of holidays people should celebrate. And if you were Jewish religiously before you came to Christ, you grew up avoiding foods that were not kosher. In other words, Bacon was not at your table. Sorry, off limits. I know. I know. So meat offerings to pagan gods, you know, it just seemed gross to Jews. It just it was not something acceptable. And so they went as far as being convinced that we're only going to eat vegetables. On the other hand, you had those who, you know, Gentile Christians who had no problems eating the pagan uh, meat that was offered to pagan gods. They had no problems with that. You know, there's only one God. You know, that meat is sacrificed to those gods. Those gods aren't real. Me eating the meat doesn't mean I worship those gods. And they didn't have a problem with it. And so you see the potential to be unaccepting of one another. And Paul was dealing with this same issue so much here that later on in verse 13 he says, Therefore let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. You know, we have people in our lives... That couldn't be more polar opposite than us, right? Those who somehow, they don't live up to the expectations we have of them. Uh, You know, somehow, they don't fit our mold. Maybe it's as simple as people who have a different taste of, you know, movies. Or a different taste of food and backgrounds and cultures. Maybe they don't listen to the same music as you do. And you know, we can treat relationships in the same way we treat our music. We give it five seconds. And in five seconds, I'm going to decide whether or not I'm going to hit that skip button and go to the next song. <laughs> But we don't wait, we don't carry it out to see what's going to develop and how awesome this song actually really is, but in 5 seconds we're like, nah, nah I don't like it, Skip. And we could treat our relationships in that way. You know, how do you respond when people frustrate you, when people let you down, when people don't live up to the expectations you've placed on them? Because the reality is we've, we've been created to crave relationships. We've been created to crave it. And this is essential for us, and so we've got to figure this out. We've got to learn to navigate them. But it's difficult, I know. And you know why I know it's difficult? Why every relationship, there is that difficulty in everyone? Because there's not just one, but there's two imperfect people. I just had to clear that up in case you thought there was one. Okay, there's two. And so what happens in these relationships, we get wounded, we get hurt, we get frustrated, irritated. And we get wronged and our natural natural response is we just we just want to lash out. We want to do to others how they've done us. To treat others in that way, wanting to respond with emotion depending on how we feel. And that is our default setting. But it only serves to further damage the relationships. More wounds come, increases the hurt, adds to the frustration we're already feeling with this person who is so polar opposite to me, but I must accept them. And we're in that battle. You guys feel me on that? You guys with me? So let's dive in Romans 15. This is the relational key we're going to look at. And we're going to break this scripture down for us this morning. Verse 7. Accept one another. Accept one another. You know, when it comes to this area of acceptance, I think we'd have to admit one thing, and that's that we all desire to have, in our lives, acceptance. We want to be accepted. We want to be accepted by people in our lives. We have this acceptance magnet. And the people that we feel accepted by, we're drawn to them. We have no problems coming closer and closer to them. But for the relationships we feel rejection, they're categorized more by rejection than exception, uh, accepted, then we push away. We repel from those relationships. Why? Because we're all looking for acceptance in our lives. And without acceptance, it gives way to judgment, fear rejection and we could tend to fear rejection so much so that if we try uh... we, we could try to, to please and impress people to want to be accepted and so Paul here in Romans says if you want your relationships to thrive then you gotta learn to do this thing right here you gotta learn to accept one another And if we're brutally honest right now, as you just heard that, we wanna be a little resistant to that. We want to push back a little bit. Why? Well, first off, we like that accept one another part. They're like, yeah, you man, you guys are stuck with me. You gotta accept me. Ah. Oh, we like that part. We're like, oh yeah, you gotta accept me, brother. But then, not so much the we gotta accept others part. And, you know, because uh, when we think about this, we go, man, you know, there's, there's some people, we just go, hey, I, I have no problems. We can accept. I can accept them. We look like them. We act like them. We talk like them. We, uh, they think like us. We have no problems accepting people that way. We're like, okay, yeah, no problem at all. But then there are some. There are some. Uh, they, they make us they make us struggle a little bit. They're a little bit harder to love, to accept, and we like to be told that there's a limit, that there's got to be this you know limit to how, how you know how many people do I need to accept here because you know those people they just drive me over the edge. You know, has there a thought has it ever occurred to you? that you may be that person that drives people over the edge that may be you you know have you noticed how easy it is to accept your own personality quirks and habits you know this comedian once said you know it's just like magic when you live by yourself it's magical how all those quirks and habits just magically disappear so what's the limitation What's the limitation to accepting one another? What's the standard? How far do I need to go with accepting one another? Well, he's about to tell us. And we read on. Accept one another. Then just as Christ accepted you. Just as. To the same degree as the same way as, with the same intensity as, with the same resolve as Jesus accepted you. Wow, that's a pretty high standard of acceptance. But you know what helps me? When you and I began seeking a relationship with God, there wasn't a whole lot acceptable about us. You know, our junk our sin, our shortcomings, our failures. Let me remind you this morning, church, that there was nothing that we could do to make ourselves more presentable, more attractive to God. But in that moment, God looked at us with all of our junk and sanity and He accepted us. The reason why many put off following Jesus, becoming followers of Jesus, is because you recognize this to be true in your life. You recognize that there's junk, there's sin, there's there's bad doing. You know in your in your lifestyle that there's wrong, there's sin, and you recognize it, and you know it's weighing you down. And so, before you can ever come into a relationship with God, I've got to get this junk out of my life. I got to get cleaned up. I gotta make myself more presentable. I gotta make myself attractive to God. Then maybe, just maybe, He will accept me. But what many in this room have found to be true is that God accepted us. He accepted us before we ever changed, He accepted us the way we are, in spite of our sin. He accepted us when we were not very acceptable. You know, Romans 5 or 6, you see, at just the right time. But well, when's that right time? When you were still sinners, when we were still sinners. It wouldn't make sense when we got our act together, when we got our lives all put, organized, nice and neat. No, it was when we were powerless. Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we now have been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? For if while we were God's enemies we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, How much more, having been reconciled, should we be saved through His life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is God's words here to us this morning. So Paul says to you and I, just in case you thought you'd be able to put a limit to this whole accepting people into your life, to the people that think like you, that act like you, that don't irritate you, that don't offend you, frustrate you, or have the same opinions as you, just in case you wanted to put a limit on that. He goes, here's the standard. As Christ accepted you. And I know as we hear that, man, it might just sound too good to be true. As Christ accepted you as Christ accepted me, and I I understand that. You know, at just the right time, teen disciples came into my life in middle school, in eighth grade, while I was powerless. And I'm so grateful they did, and as they came into my life, they were showing me God's love, they were inviting me to see and witness and be a part of God's church, taking me in as myself. I definitely didn't belong, I felt like Sesame Street, you know, one of these things is not like the others. I was like, man, I stand out here. But uh, I stood out so much and and it was hard to believe that I I just needed to test them. And it was so wrong of me, but in my heart I was like, man, I just, I got to test their love, I got to test their acceptance and see if they're really for real, if this is true. True. And it got to the point where even one day, you know, I just showed up after smoking out and doing some drugs and just reeking like that. Hey, what's up guys? And seeing teens just kind of quivering, kind of like, Whoa, what's, oh man, that's weird, what's going on? I was like, yeah, they don't know what to do with me. I like this. See, I knew it. Once they found out my junk, my life, I knew it and I kept moving around and others, you know, they were loving they were like nice to me as best as they could but they didn't know how to deal with that and then here came this more mature disciple an adult and he came into my life and spoke to me in love he says, bro, I just want you to know, dude you're you're welcome here absolutely I just need you to know you cannot come like that I was like, "What? what do you mean by that? And, you know, he helped me to see just how distracting and all of that. And we had talks about it. But in my heart, I was like, man, you know what? I'm not listening to you. I'm never coming back to this church. So I never came back to this church. No, I did. And I'm here. Okay? And why? Why did, I, why did I do that? Well, because I, I felt so freed. That hey, this this man was speaking the truth and love to me. He was aligning his convictions to God and His standard and not His own. Which could have been so easy to look at someone like me and just go, man, you know, I don't have time for someone like that. I can't, I don't relate to them, I don't know, I don't understand that. But I'm grateful that someone did. And there I was, you know, just, just wow, being blown away by that. And then that moment I realized this is what i got to do. I am so thankful that at that age, you know, I've been spared from so much. I was able to, you know, repent, make Jesus Lord in my life, and be baptized for the forgiveness of my sins, and to be able to walk faithfully with God. And you know, and at that moment I wasn't thinking about if you were to tell me all the things that God would do in my life and bless me with, at that moment, That wasn't what I was thinking about. You know, oh, you know, you know, man, you become a disciple, this is what's going to happen, you're going to be able to do this, you're going to become this, you're going to be able to do that, God's going to bless you with this and that, man, it's going to be awesome. At that moment, I wasn't thinking of those things. At that moment, I was looking at Jesus and who was offering me two things that no one else in this world could offer me. And that's forgiveness of sin and a chance of eternal life. Anything else down the road is icing on the cake. And I think we got to hear that. He's so serious about accepting us. Serious about accepting me accepting you and that's why at the same time there's, there's another side to this coin that I want us to think about and consider how accepting are you of Jesus lordship over your life how accepting in other words are you accepting things as a way of living that Jesus would not accept would not tolerate Yes, sins of commission, pride, selfish ambition, impurity, deceit. But there's also the sins of omission. Sins of omission. Not doing the things we know we ought to be doing. It's also sin. James 4 verse 17 tells us that. And we're not talking about methods. We're not talking about how to do certain things, how to make sure we're getting those things in our lives and we're living it out. I'm talking about principles. I'm talking about methods change. And and thank God that they do, right? But principles, principles stay the same. But Jesus is accepting of all. Yes, He is. But He loves us too much to let us stay there. And now that we know the truth, man, we've been set free. We know the truth and we no longer live in ignorance. We've been justified through Christ. His holiness, His righteousness makes us presentable now to God. But not on our own accord. So that we can be reconciled to the Father and have this relationship with our Father in heaven. But there was a price that Jesus paid. And that was His blood being shed on the cross for us to be redeemed. To be bought back at a price. And so knowing that, we in our hearts now should be convinced. When we think of our half-heartedness at times, when we think of, wow, you know, our, our comfortability Christianity that we can slip into, how committed we're going to be to things, depending on if it's convenient, depending on if it's close to me, depending on the time, depending on this or that. When it talks about loving the lost and being committed to helping, seeking, saving the lost, are we convinced of what Jesus has done So that we understand, man, that does not have any place in the lives of disciples. And we do not live that way. I'm not saying we're not tempted with that. I'm not saying that trials and life won't happen that will affect those things. But you know, what leads to us accepting those ways of living that Jesus would definitely never accept, I think it's because we forget that Christ accepted us. He accepted us. Before you started doing all of this and all the great deeds, all the great works, Christ accepted you. He accepted me and does now. That's, that's my standard. That's what I strive to become like. I strive to sacrifice like Him, to love like Him, to serve like Him, to deny myself like Him, have conversations with people like Him. If we're not careful, we start accepting the wrong things while rejecting the right things that God has commanded us to. So accept one another then just as Christ accepted you. But why? Why should we do this? Well, we read on. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. You know, when we accept people the way Christ accepted people, where they're at, when they're different than us, man, that's a big deal. The diversity in this church can either serve as a great source of conflict because there's so many differences of opinions and preferences, or it could serve as a great uh, great glory to our Father in Heaven. Yes. How do these people love each other? Despite... All these differences and preferences and things of that nature. People start to recognize it's not that natural. What's natural is treating people the way people treat us. But when we accept people the way that pe- uh, Christ accepted us, people take notice and they wonder what's different? How is that possible? How can that happen only through God? Yes. Only through Christ. And they're overwhelmed. We're overwhelmed with gratitude and we simply now are just trying. So we treat others the way Jesus has treated us. And we can point them to God, we can point them to Christ, who can transform someone's heart from the inside out, and then God gets all the glory. So it's a big deal. Maybe we see it as a big deal when it's not happening. When we're not accepting of each other. And what, could that, wait, what that leads to in our relationships, in our families, what that leads to when we're not taking it as a big deal. Now here's the whole thing. It's very difficult. Difficult because it's not natural for us. And so if we're going to do this, if we're going to live out accepting one another as Christ accepted us, rather than building a wall, you build a bridge. Rather than rejecting, you're now accepting. And how do you do this? we got to have the mindset of we got to place higher priority greater value on the relationship than on being right. The relationship than on being right. So many of our relational issues that we deal with really come back to this desire of being right. You know, we're going to dig our heels in, we're going to lecture, we have figured it out, make sure everyone knows how right we are, how wrong they are. But until we place a greater value on the relationship than on being right, then we'll always struggle in our relationships with one another. You think about Jesus' life for a second. If there's one thing that's so clear about Jesus and what He came to do, one of those things that He did not come to do was to argue. He did not argue. He didn't come to make a point. He didn't come to show how right He was and how wrong we are, although He could have for three and a half years. You're so wrong. You're so, I'm so right. Listen to me. But he didn't do that. Instead, he built bridges to people. Instead, he accepted people who came into his life with a whole lot of wrongness, just the way that they were. You know, I want to show this video clip here in John 8. It's about the woman caught in adultery to see this be lived out. nine, we went back to it. All the people gathered around him, and he sat down and began to teach. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman who had been caught committing adultery, and they made a stand before the law. To trap Jesus so that they could accuse him. But he bent over and wrote on the ground with his finger. As they stood there asking him questions, He's a Seen, witness Jesus and this woman who had a whole lot of wrong. She was wrong. The law said she was wrong, and here's Jesus in this very heated, escalated moment and situation, trying to be trapped by the teachers of the law, because it's important to understand that they were trying to trap him, and Jesus understood that he was trying to be. They were trying to trap him. Some we got to understand and know that yes, the law did say that such a woman deserves to be stoned. But there was prerequisites to this execution becoming uh, valid. There had to be, according to Jewish laws, two witnesses to come forth. And so Jesus understood that. He even understood that these Jewish teachers knew that. And so why are they doing all of this when they know already that we're already starting with something that's so invalid? And so what He does, because, you know, they're trying to trap Him. If He says, yes, stone her, right, then He's preaching against His own message of grace and mercy. He says, no, You know, don't stone her. Then He's not fulfilling the Jewish law that actually says you're supposed to. But actually letting her go on the basis that there's no witnesses that come forward is actually fulfilling the law. And that's important for us because God didn't just dismiss the law just for this one person. Oh, you know what? It doesn't apply to you. No, the law was still in place, but the situation... The, the, the prerequisites to it was very invalid. So execution was not legal. It would be very illegal if they did, did that. And so we got to understand that before we make God like, Oh, you know, He picks and chooses. My laws change. I'm not, you know, that's not God. So here's Jesus and He goes, You know what, I'm, I'm going to ask this question. You who is out sin, cast the first stone. And you know, those men right there, it wasn't far-fetched that these men, like this woman were involved in such activities. They just weren't exposed. Yeah. You know, it wasn't about, hey, guys, come on, everyone sins, guys. Let's let her go. No, you really want a soul her? Let's talk about you right now. Yeah. And everyone's like silenced. Wow, you know what? Yeah. The older ones first. Why? Because is it possible that the older ones either wised up and realized what Jesus was saying? Or maybe the older ones start to lose their their integrity and their purity and their idealism of God's Word. And then the younger ones started to follow. Then he walks to her and he says, you know, is there anyone here who condemns you? Where are they? In other words, there's no witnesses. Therefore, this execution, it's, it's, it's invalid, it's illegal. I can't do that. According to the laws there, according to the to uh, the Jewish leaders there, Jesus didn't have the power to do that, to say such a thing. He had no authority, and so He's like, okay, hey, legally, can't do that. But then what does He tell her? Go and leave your life of sin. And He can say that. Why? Because where legally he doesn't have authority spiritually and morally. He has all authority. And so he looks at her with love and acceptance because he told her, I don't condemn you, but he also expected change. Sin no more. Leave your life of sin. He came to build bridges where He easily could have built walls. He didn't come to win an argument, He came to win hearts. By accepting people the way they are. Because if He could win their heart, then He could win their obedience. Then obedience will follow. And when you experience that in your life, when it becomes a reality, something real in your life, and when He tells us to go and leave our life of sin, then we go. We go. Not out of our own righteousness or lack of, but out of a response to what God has said about us, about the way He has called us to a new life. He's motivating us to leave our life of sin. We're not talking about accepting sin in each other, We're not talking about tolerating it. But when acceptance of you becomes real in your life, you put to sin you put to death your sinful nature. And you do to others what Jesus has done for you. Jesus is like, there's got to be a better way than arguing, than lecturing, than telling people, I told you so. Instead, I've came to win hearts. I've came to accept rather than reject. And as you're thinking about this, as we prepare to take communion, remember, remember that while you were still wrong, God made a decision to win your hearts. Not to prove how right He is, but to build a bridge of acceptance while we were very unacceptable. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Let's go to prayer. Our Father, we are so moved at this moment to think about that we became great in Your eyes simply because you decided to choose to accept and look at us in such a way. There was nothing we could do to present ourselves more attractive, to make ourselves more presentable or holy, to then get your attention, to then get your acceptance. That's so powerful. It was so powerful that this woman here understood that he gave that to her before She changed. And He gives us that opportunity to change, knowing that, wow, maybe some won't. Even after what has just taken place, some may not. But that's the risk He's willing to take. Thank you so much, Dad, that your Son Jesus is willing to do that. For me, for everyone here, for this world, And we look to Him at this time to reconcile any relationships that need acceptance, to renew our minds, to transform it, to accept You and Your words and Your commands. They're not suggestions. They're not if it feels good, if it's convenient. It is very much accepting of our obedience. And I pray we we commit that to You here this morning. We love You. We thank You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.